Good stuff. Good stuff. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Good to see you. Excited that you're here. Excited to be here in Suffolk. I grew up on this side of the river. Grew up in a little town called Windsor. Anybody ever heard of Windsor? Anybody? Yeah? Awesome. Grew up in Windsor, right off of 460. So uh, love this side of the area. I mean, I like Suffolk was where you had to go if you were going to buy groceries or do anything other than get gas or go to Burger King. So we spent a lot of time in Suffolk or Chesapeake. And so excited to be here on this side of the river and uh, just uh, uh, be with you guys. Been hearing so many incredible stories about what is happening here at this campus and the growth that's happening here, and you've got incredible pastors, and Pastor Justin and Stephanie, uh, we love them so much, and we're so uh, honored to call them uh, friends and call them part of our church, and you guys are blessed beyond blessed to have them as your pastors. I hope you know that. I hope you appreciate them and uh, love on them and pray for them and encourage them, and uh, Pastor Justin is in Newport News tonight speaking there. He hasn't been there in a while, so I know they're going to be blessed tonight, and uh, he asked me to come here so that you guys can have an extra appreciation for him next week. So <clears throat> I said, sure, I can do that easily for you. <laughs> so, so hey, excited about that. So, hey, we're in our uh, series called Stranger Things. And uh, how many of you watch the show Stranger Things? How many of you seen the show out there? Awesome, fantastic. Um, this is a show that has been just sweeping the nation. It was launched on Netflix, and when it came out, it was one of the most talked about TV shows. It's one of the most watched shows on Netflix. And already, even now, just a few months after the release of the first season, people are already excited about the release of the second season, which they're still shooting. It's one of the most anticipated uh, releases to date, and it's just fascinating. Not as in the story of Stranger Things, but it's it's the part. It's a part of a larger story. It's a part of a, 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 a reality that's taking place in our culture right now. That people are having conversations about the supernatural, about paranormal, the most high-grossing movies that have been in the movies lately over the past couple months and throughout the summer were movies that were dealing with the paranormal or dealing with the supernatural. Our, uh, most of the TV shows that were released this fall are TV shows dealing with these types of subjects and these types of realities. There's a TV show that's getting ready to be released about uh, a little boy who is eight years old who is the Antichrist and his parents are trying to raise him knowing that he's the Antichrist. There's TV shows about a pastor who is demon-possessed that was just released. There's a TV show where Satan decided he didn't want to be in hell anymore, so he moved to Los Angeles. Of course, that's, but anyway, so, right? So, um, so like, I mean, this, this is going on everywhere. If you heard of the movies that came out this summer, The Conjuring, there were movies that came out that were about the supernatural, about paranormal things, and it was actually Christian producers that made the movie, and they were talking with a lady who experienced these things, and her ministry was to pray for people in these situations. And the the whole part of what I'm trying to make a point of is, is that this is a larger conversation that's happening in the world. People's eyes have been opened and they're interested in something that's beyond what we normally see or normally experience. And they're interested in it and the world's having a conversation about it because it's true. Because it's real. There's a reality to this. And so there's an interest 
in it. And so we're talking about this show and using this not to say, hey, you should go and watch the show, not to say, hey, this is something that we're endorsing in any way, but we're saying culture's having this conversation and we think the church should be a part of that conversation, that people are asking and they're talking about these things and it's important for us to be engaged in that conversation. Paul did the same thing in Acts and 1 Corinthians and Titus. He used modern poets and different individuals that were entertainers of the time. He used their information. He used their entertainment pieces. He studied their stuff to help defend and proclaim the gospel to the Greeks and to the modern world of his time. So we're just engaging in a conversation and saying, hey, if you want to talk about this, we want to talk about it as well, and we want to be engaged in. If you don't want to watch the show, you don't have to watch the show. We're not saying you need to. We're just saying that there's, as one theologian says, he said that the Every story of any kind, it borrows from a larger and more truer story, which is the gospel. And if you look at the stories of like Stranger Things and others, they all borrow. There's pieces of redemption. There's pieces of salvation. There's a reality of needing to be saved. There's a reality of darkness and good and evil. There, you see all of these things threaded through any story. And so what we get to be is just a voice in that story. And so that's what we're doing as we talk about Stranger Things. Things In John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus says this. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. We're living lives that are being watched. We're living lives that are being observed by people. People want to know the truth of what is out there. They want to know the truth of what this life is all about. And they're doing it by watching our lives. And that's the call that Jesus has given us. And so we're going to engage that conversation tonight by looking in Scripture. But before we do that, we are going to take a few minutes and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time as we jump into your word, which is truth. God, your word, which is spoken to us even now through your Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts and awaken our minds to the fact that you are here, that you are calling, that there's a life of, that you have for us, promised in Christ, that is available through Christ. God, that there is more for us to do in this life, there is more for us to experience and to know in this life, and that there is an eternity waiting for us, that there is a hope for us beyond this world. And Father, we pray that tonight our eyes are opened to the life that you want us to live here now and the life that you've promised to us in eternity. May we fall more in love with Jesus, may we embrace Jesus, and may we make our lives about Jesus and all that we do. And God, I just pray that somehow you help me to recover from being a Dolphins fan and at some point we win at this season. Amen. <laughs> Nate, I don't even want to hear anything. So one of the things that's a reality in the story of Stranger Things is there's an individual who presents herself in the story, early on in the story, and her name is L. her name is Eleven, and she presents herself in the story from unknown origins, and she comes into the midst of the story of these four awkward middle school boys from the 80s, a.k.a. me. Anybody else out there, 80s kids? That's what I'm talking about. So they present, she presents herself into the midst of their story where they're 
in desperate need to rescue one of their friends. And so she comes into the situation and her very presence in their life reveals deeper truths, reveals things that are beyond the ordinary, the truths that are beyond just fantasy, that they begin to see that the life that they see in front of them, that there's something beyond that and there's more to understand and see. And so she presents herself into this life. And so tonight, what I want to talk to us about is, is that Jesus has come into this world. Jesus' origins are not normal. His origins are extraordinary. And as he stepped into our life, he opened our eyes, opened our hearts to the reality that there's more to this life than meets the eye. There's more to this life than just being here, existing, and eating good barbecue because you live on this side of the river and the barbecue is better over here. But so there's more to life than these things, that there's a deeper reality. There's a need that we all have. There's a spiritual world that is present that is there. And as followers of Christ, we are to live our lives in a way so that others can see this truth and so that these things can be revealed to them as well. Jesus, as I just read in John chapter 17, that is his prayer for us, is that the world would know us by how we love each other, by how we serve together, how we love together, how we do life together, that the world is watching, they're looking, they're expecting. I want to see that there's something more to this life than what I know. I want to see that there's a truth deeper than what I know in my own life. There's a void that is there. Whatever I feel that is or however I feel that needs to be fed, I realize there's something that is missing and I'm looking for it and the church should be one that is declaring that answer. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. There's a theme as you look all throughout scripture that our lives should be ones that point to this extraordinary life, to this reality that there is more to this life than what we have accepted. There's more to this life than what we see in just our day-to-day going to work, waking up, sleeping, and doing the routines of life. There is something more going on, and our lives should point to that. They should wake people up to the truth of who God is and his presence in this world. The church should be the ones that are declaring a truth that is greater than what people have known and accepted. That's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. We should be waking people up by the lives that we're living to the reality of God and the hope and the truth of Jesus Christ. But can we be honest for a second? It's pretty difficult, isn't it? Right? When we read a verse like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You're like, I can do that for a day or two. I can do that for a couple hours on Saturday night, but have you hung out with some of these people more than two hours? Right? It can be a little bit difficult. The people that we work with, our family members, right? Our precious little children that we love with all of our hearts. It can be difficult to be bound together in peace. But the world is looking for us to be somebody who is living life differently. Somebody who is living, hey, this word that is here, it's true. And not only is it true, but it's made a profound difference in how I live my life. And I want you to see me. And when you look at my life, you don't see me, but you see Jesus. And you see me living my life. It should make you hungry to want to have the life in Christ. And that's what we're called to do, but it's difficult to do. 
Jesus is, he's talking to one guy, Luke records it, Dr. Luke records uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, a guy comes up to him and he's doing all the right stuff, everything's right, right, he's, he's doing the thing, I mean, he is the guy, you know, like, I mean, he's got the clothes, he's got the look, he's got the job, he's got it all, and so he comes to Jesus like, hey, <laughs> it's me, you know, and he's like, hey, so what's, like, I mean, if we were to sum everything up, you know, and like, what's the most important thing that God cares about, and Jesus says, well, I mean, the Ten Commandments. And so he's just like, yeah, all right, great. And he's like, I do all of them. And Jesus is like, how would you sum it up? And he says, well, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and your mind and to love others. And Jesus is like, hey, you're right. And so that's what he says to him in that moment. But this guy, in verse 29, he goes on, and he's just like, as Jesus keeps talking to him, this guy's just like, so um, look, real quick, though, can we, like, clarify what our neighbor is? Like, can I ask you who this others are? Does that include that person over there? Does that include those group of people? Because that's going to be a little bit difficult. And Jesus, he responds in John chapter 17 by even upping the ante. In John chapter 13, I apologize, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Not just as you love yourself, but as I have loved you, as I have sacrificed for you, as I have given for you, as I have given up every right that I have for you, so you should do for your neighbor. And we're just like, um, yeah, neighbor again? Can we just clarify that? Because that could be a little bit difficult if you're including somebody that I'm thinking about right now. And he's like, yeah, I am including that person. And the reason it's difficult for us is, is because we all live our lives, we all have our own opinions, we all have our own experiences, we all have all of our own past, we have all of these things that build up who we are in the way that we perceive the world and interact with others. And so tonight, what I want to talk to you about is this idea that you are free to be offended. You are free to be offended. I live with a simple principle in life. I try to live by this principle. I'm not perfect at it always, but as I've lived my life, this is something I've just kind of just said, hey, I want to embrace this, is that we, that every opportunity that I possibly can, I want to believe in people even when they don't give me a reason to, and in every situation, I want to hope for the best. But the problem is, is that it's easier for me to doubt people even when they're doing good, and even when the situation looks great, to expect the worst. It's easier for me to do that. And that's what this guy's pointing out in Luke chapter 10, verse 29. He's just like, I don't know if I could just love everybody. Like, I, I mean, that's a little bit difficult because it's easier for me to say, that person's going to hurt me. That person's going to wound me. That person's going to do something to me. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to overcome that, look past it, and love them in spite of that situation. That's a lot to ask. And Jesus is like, yeah, it is. And I want you to do even more. And it's difficult for us because our tendency is to look for the negative, to look for the worst. Recently up in uh, Canada, there's things that happen in Canada other than riding moose. But um, there's, at least that's how I think that happens. But anyway, so, there's, so up in Canada recently, the, the police were doing some routine things to their neighborhood. And as they were going through the neighborhood, they went through this ravine. And as they were going through the ravine, they saw this hole. And they kind of, this massive hole that like, you could fit into. And so they go into the hole, and as they go into the hole, it's just, it's just dozens and dozens of feet into the ground. And as they get into the hole, they find lights at the bottom of it, and they find a generator and digging equipment, and there's all of this stuff in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's so 
impressive that they're like, what is this and what is somebody doing with it? So the police are investigating it, trying to figure out. The news finds out about it. The news blows it up and they start, you know, coming up with their ideas and their speculations. Hey, somebody's digging a hole because they're going to put a bomb underneath of a building and they're going to blow everybody up, right? Somebody's digging a hole and they got all of these speculations and all this different stuff. Come to find out, it's just a guy who had an idea. And he said, hey, people like to build forts and trees. Why can't you build a fort in the grounds? Right? That's all it was. I mean, I mean, the news was blowing up, and everybody's like, what is happening? And they were just expecting the world. The world is coming. There was one that was like, we believe that it's aliens that have dug this hole. Right? I mean, it's just like all of this insane stuff. And it's just a guy that's like, hey, this would be cool. Right? And I love Canada. They're just like, hey, in the future, can you just let us know if you're going to dig a hole? You know, it wasn't like you can't dig a hole. It was like, hey, if you're going to do it, just let us know. Okay? Hey? Eh? Right? And so they're just like, you know, like, so they're just like, hey, this is but it was just like, that's our tendency, that's our nature, is just to get to this place where, you know, we just expect the worst, we're expecting this insane situation, we're expecting to be hurt by something, and it's because we live, especially in our culture nowadays, we live in an outraged culture. I mean, with 24-7 news that's constantly trying to find a reason to justify being on air on a regular basis, every second of the day, every day of the week, every day of the year. Like, they're communicating all of this stuff, and they're looking for news things. And a lot of times, they come at it from a negative slant, from a negative perspective, because they can turn nothing into something if they're negative about it. And they know our human tendency. Give me more. Right? And so they know that. Social media, it's turned us into critics. Everybody's a critic and everybody's a cynic. I want to tell you something. I want to challenge you tonight. I have not been on Facebook. I have not read my Facebook wall in three months. And I'm a new person. I am free, free indeed. It's awesome. I'm telling you, like, I literally, like, I deleted the app off my phone. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I've missed birthdays. Yeah, I've missed anniversaries. Yeah, I've missed cat videos and all kinds of stuff. But it's okay. I'm actually happy, and I have hope for humanity again. You know, so it's just, it's good. You should try it. But because of social media and all of these things that are going on, it, we are an outraged society. Our culture is constantly feeding off of the negative because we've been conditioned to look for how we're going to be offended next. That's how we've been conditioned. I, I don't know, anybody uh, Apple fans out there? Yeah, Apple fans? All right, good. All right, rest of you, come on, get with it. All right, so Apple, uh, they, you know, they got Apple Music out there, and so they're in competition right now uh, with Spotify and a couple others that nobody really uses. Um, but so they're out there, and they're in competition right now. And so Apple Music's trying to do some new things to make um, uh, impact and to get new viewers and you know, subscribers to their subscription um, and, and to their music streaming. And so they've released some videos and new commercials, and one of them was with James Gordon. I don't know if you, have you seen these commercials or not? Have you know, seen these commercials here? We check it out. I got a video of it right here, Claude, just part of it. We just want to tell people all the ways that you can listen to Apple Music. Even offline, on a plane, on a car. Say no more. What if, what if I'm driving in a convertible through the desert? <gasps> I see a small boy. I walk over to him. He looks at me. I look at him. He says... I say, thirsty for new music, and I hand him an iPhone. Why didn't you give him water? 
James, why don't we just tell them we have 40 million songs? I can work with that. Picture this. I'm stood on the edge of the ocean. I dive headfirst into the water. But I'm surrounded by, wait for it, 40 million apples. And then what? The Apple Music logo fills the screen. I don't think this is going to work. But I've got more ideas. So this, so this commercial came out. Here's the crazy thing. is I found out about this commercial not because I watched the commercial. I found out about this commercial because there was an article in the news about how angry people were about this commercial. People were outraged and angry about this commercial. Like there was actually threats towards Apple and there was all these comments about, well, I thought James Gordon was gonna go somewhere, but now his career is over. And there was this, all of this stuff, it literally like the internet was melting because they were angry about these commercials. And I was reading through the comments that were made on this article about how angry people were about it. And this one guy said, he goes, this is it, this is proof. America has run out of reasons to be angry. Right? And I was like, that's so true. Like, we're just outraged. We're just angry about everything. There's just something in us that lives that way, that functions that way. And what I want to talk to you about tonight real quickly is, is that you have God-given gifts and opportunities that your creator gave you. There's gifts that he's given you for a purpose in this life that are derailed when you live life carrying offenses. When you live your life walking around insulted and angry and wounded and displeased in everything that you do, it derails the purpose that God has for you. It takes you off of the course, out of the life that God has for you when you carry your offenses into every situation. When the wounds that may be real and may be deep, when those became the, become the filter of everything that you see and everything that you experience, now it is tainted with frustration and angry and resentment instead of looking at it as an opportunity for hope, as an opportunity for reconciliation. And so you've, you and I, we've got to rise above it. Our lives are being watched. People are observing us. How are you going to handle the situation? How are you going to handle this moment in your job when you're getting laid off? How are you going to handle it as a Christ follower? In this moment when your marriage might be falling apart or you've gotten news that you wish you wouldn't have got, how are you going to handle it? Because I'm watching I'm observing, and I want to see you declare a truth that is beyond the normal, beyond the ordinary. I want to see somebody say there's something real and true beyond just the everyday life. And people are watching us. They're observing us. They want to see the things that we're doing. But when we carry these things into our lives and we allow the world and our experiences and our hurts and our wounds, when we allow those things to be what defines our life, we get into a place where we're not only not living the life that God has for us and has promised to us in Christ, but we actually are working against ourselves. I have an 11-year-old son, and I see this on a regular basis. Just the other day, he was getting ready for school. And as he was getting ready for school, they're like, okay, buddy, you know the routine, right? Wake up, get dressed, then eat breakfast, then go brush your teeth. He's got some orthodontist things, you know, so like use your water pick. And then when you're done with that, do your hair, because it's crazy. He's got Donald Trump hair, you know, every morning. And so he's just like, you know, get, get that thing fixed, you know, and then get your backpack ready, and then we're going to pray, and then you're going to go out to school. Like every single morning, it's the same thing. 
And so the other morning, he comes down, and I'm just like, okay, great. You've eaten your breakfast. You're dressed. Go brush your teeth. And it was like I had asked him to go cut his leg off. I, I mean, parents, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just like, good gracious. I, I never did this to my parents, but whatever. So, you know, like, so he's going through, and I'm just like, dude, hey, go brush your teeth. And it was just like, and he's just like, oh. And so I was like, hey, watch it. You're getting into dangerous territory. So he's like, fine. And he, like, walks up the stairs, right? And he's up there, and he's frustrated, and he's just annoyed. He's displeased in the situation. And what does he do? He brushes the teeth for about two seconds. He gets toothpaste on his shirt. He breaks his water pick, right? Everything just starts falling apart. And in the moment, because his water pick's broke, he's like, oh, shoot, I'm going to get in trouble. Now, instead of saying, I'm going to embrace what's going on, it's mom and dad's fault for making me take care of my teeth. Right? And so, like, now, what was just, like, in a moment of annoyance, now it's this nuclear war that's going on in our house, you know? And it was all just over, hey, could you go do this? But when he's walking through life and he's just saying, I don't want to do this. I want to do what I want to do. And I want to do things on my own schedule. And I, this is the way I want to. I'm always being told what to do. And he's just, you know, he's a creative kid. He's an individual thinker. And so we've got to learn how to nurture that and guide that. But at the same time, when he looks at it with a filter that says they're against me or this is not what I want to do, his filter now causes him to act in a way that is disruptive to a productive life and a healthy life. And you can apply that to your life on the scale of what you face. It might not be brushing your teeth, but in your marriage, in your job, in your life with your children, in your neighborhood, there's moments when you know it's just a normal responsibility, it's just a part of life, it's just the way of life, but you look at it differently because of who's involved. You approach it differently because of the things that have happened. You approach it differently because of the conversations that have been had, and now you're looking at things through your offenses, through your insults, through your wounds, through your displeasement. You're looking at it through those things, and it derails everything. And so tonight, we're going to look at the story in Matthew chapter 17. All of that was my intro, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17. And we're going to be reading one of the strangest stories in the Gospels. It's a story where Jesus tells Peter to go and find the gold coin in the fish's mouth. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 24, it says, On their arrival in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. Then he went into the house. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people they have conquered? In verse 26, it continues and says, They tax the people they have conquered, Peter replied. Well, then Jesus said, The citizens are free. However, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake and throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. This passage is not a passage about provision, though there's an incredible truth about provision and about God's generosity and our generosity in there. This passage is not about that. This passage is about your view of you and how that reality shapes the world around you. This passage is about this moment in Peter's life, this moment in the life of the disciples, this moment in the life of Israel. This is a moment where Jesus is speaking to them and Jesus is speaking to you and I and says, the filter in which you view your world, it affects the way you respond. How you carry your offenses, it's going to affect the witness that you have. 
and the impact that you have in this world. And the first thing that he teaches us in this moment, the first thing that he teaches Peter in this moment is that as a follower of Christ, we have the capacity to bring peace into any situation. In Colossians chapter 3, we're admonished, since God has chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. That's an easy one, right? And forgive anyone who offends you. That's good, right? Remember the Lord forgave you. Ouch. So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and always be thankful. That's the life that we're called to. As a follower of Christ, you have the capacity to bring peace into any situation. Peter and Jesus are in Capernaum. This is the town that Peter lived in, and Jesus stayed with Peter in Capernaum on a regular basis, which is why these temple tax collectors were coming to them. And they came to them in this moment. The other disciples lived in other towns and villages. The other disciples might even just still be traveling. They're just making their way from Galilee. And so these temple tax collectors, they come to Jesus, or they come to Peter, Instead of going to Jesus, because they're awesome. So they go to Peter, and they walk up to Peter, who's in the front yard, and they begin to ask him, hey, does Jesus pay this temple tax? So the thing about these guys are, is that these guys were individuals who was collecting this tax, and this tax was something that was not necessarily something that was required. And so they're coming to Jesus in this moment to find out if he's going to pay the tax, not because they're necessarily worried about the money, but because they're talking about and they're engaging in a conversation about what happens around this tax, around this collection. So they're coming to Jesus to try to trap him because they go to him and they say, hey, first of all, if you pay this, this is something, if you pay this temple tax, then you're admitting that you're just an ordinary Jew. Because if you are a rabbi, if you're a distinguished teacher, if you are who you say you are, then you could exclude yourself from paying this tax. But if you pay the tax, then you're just saying, I'm an ordinary Jew. But if you decide to not pay this, there's a bunch of Jews that are upset about the Romans being in our hometown, and they're upset about this tax, and they're upset about the way that we're leading the temple. And so those people, they refuse to pay this tax. And so if you don't pay the tax, then you're one of those people. You're a troublemaker. You're somebody who we can't trust, and somebody who we're going to make sure that society knows shouldn't follow. So they're trying to trap Jesus, and they think in all of their wisdom, they've got him, but of course he's got him fooled. But they're in this moment, they're talking to him, and they're asking him these questions because they're trying to trick him. It was started as a tribute in Exodus when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. There was a moment where they were now in the wilderness, and they were journeying, and they began to build the tabernacle. And Jesus, or God was talking to Moses and told him to give people an opportunity to give of what they chose to as a way of acknowledging what God had done in their lives and done for Israel. And so they 
took time and they gave. And of course, as you read scriptures, they gave more than they needed. And he actually had to ask them to stop giving because they were giving so generously. Jesus, make that happen one day. But so it was just one of those things. It was just, that's what happened. But it was a, it was a, a, a thing that was given as not a law, but as a way of provision for a moment. You can see Nehemiah, he, he kind of brought this back in and used it in the building of the wall and other places. You can see it where it was temporarily brought in. But these people had now made it a law. They now had made it an expectation, and they were now placing it on people as a way to judge them and make them live the lives that they wanted them to live. Aren't we really good at taking the things that God has freed us to do and using them as tools of judgment? We're so good at it, aren't we? And so they're in this moment, and they're talking to him, and and they're trying to speak to Jesus to find out where he's at. And they're doing all of this different stuff because they feel they got everything right, and they've got everything worked out. They've got this Jesus guy pegged for who he really is. And their opinion, their offenses of the things that he said and the things that he's done, all of the things that have worked against them, who he stands for, what he's trying to do, what he's declaring is going to happen because of his life. As all of these things are happening, these guys are now coming to him with opinion in his king, with offenses high and they're going to come to him and they're going to trap him and they go to Peter. And Peter's standing in the front yard and he's standing there in the front yard and he's talking to them and he sees these guys come up and walk into the yard. You know, he's just like, oh, those guys, seriously? Come on, you know you've been there, right? You're in the grocery store, you're just walking and all of a sudden you look over and you go, oh, do they see me, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? And so it's just one of those things that Peter sees them walking up towards him and he's just like, oh, those guys, is this really happening right now? And they walk up to Peter and they're like, hey, is Jesus gonna pay this temple tax? And Peter's, without even talking to Jesus, without even having a moment of thinking about it, Jesus is like, of course he's gonna pay it. Of course he's gonna pay it. Yeah, he's gonna pay it. It's all good. All right, see you later. And he just walks into the house. He's like, what in the world's going on? In the verses before that, it tells us Jesus had just got done telling him that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, he was gonna be killed, and in three days he's gonna rise again. So he was just told by Jesus that these people are gonna come against him and kill him. And Peter's like, oh shoot, it's happening now, right? And so he's operating out of fear, he's operating out of frustration because of who these people are, the way they're treating people. And so Peter, out of fear, out of worry, out of anxiety, out of frustration. And and in this moment, he looks at these people with his frustrations, with his offenses, and he says something without even talking to God about it. And he walks into the house, and he walks into the house, and he's stepping into this moment. Jesus stops him before he even begins to speak. Because Jesus wants to remind him and declare to him, hey, listen, you have the capacity to bring peace into any situation. And just as you have the capacity to bring peace, you have capacity to bring strife. Watch what you're getting ready to say. Be careful with the filter that you're using right now. Be careful for what you are looking at the situation as. Be cautious. Stop. He doesn't even let them speak because we naturally look out for ways. As these people, as they were stepping into this moment, we naturally look for ways to elevate ourselves to elevate our lives, to elevate our position. But because of Christ, he is saying, listen, your capacity, your call is to elevate the lives of others by elevating the life of Christ above all else. You have the capacity for peace in this moment. 
We have a capacity to do something different. So Peter, don't let, this is my second point, Peter, don't let your offenses justify a poor attitude. But instead, let your position shape your response. Don't let your offenses justify a poor attitude. Instead, let your position determine your response. Peter responded out of fear in this moment. And as he's walking to the room, you know what he was getting ready to do. He was walking in the room. He's like, did you see who was in the front yard? I, you know what they said. Who did they think they are, right? He was getting ready to have that. You know, all those things are going through his head, right? Maybe he was even a little bit more frustrated. Like, man, these jokers, I am tired of them. Do they know who you are? You know, all of this different stuff. And he's going to ignore what he just did. He's going to ignore all that stuff. And Jesus stops him and interrupts him and says, hey, listen, calm down. It's okay. Because in this moment, in this moment, I'm trying to show you that there's another way to respond. And Peter, even just in the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 22, he says this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 22, he says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus is saying there's another way to live this life. There's a way that I want you to live this life that declares peace, that opens people's eyes to the reality that God is present and that God loves them and there's more to this life and there is hope in this life and there's joy in this life and there's truth in this life and there's darkness in this life, but I've come to distinguish the darkness and I've come to bring light into this world. And Peter, I want the light in this world to come through you and I want it to come through your life and I want it in these moments when you your offenses are the greatest for you to stand up and say this is not a moment for me to look at this through my lens through my objections through my wounds through my hurts this is a moment for me to look at this and say how can I move the kingdom of God forward how can I advance the gospel how can I declare the life of Christ in this moment and in this situation how can I help bring peace into this moment how can I speak truth into this moment that is what Jesus is calling him to do and saying you have the capacity to do you have the capacity not to bring others down you have the capacity to bring others up that's the life that I want you to live Peter that's the life that I want you to live city life Suffolk that's the life that I want you to live city life Waynesburg and city life Newport News as followers of Christ I want you you to be the light that pulls others out of their darkness. I want you to be the light that helps people to see and to know the truth of this world. And I want you to do it by living this life, to follow me in this life on this path of freedom and sacrificial love. And to us, it can seem impossible at times. It can seem impossible to live the life that Jesus has called us to live, to forgive somebody 70 times 7. It seems just absurd and ridiculous that he would even ask us. And he says, it's not absurd. It's not ridiculous. It's not impossible. It's not only possible, but it's what I'm calling you to, and it's what I'm empowering you to do. And we can follow Christ on this path to live this life of freedom and sacrificial love that may seem impossible to us. Church, let me ask you this question. What if we, as followers of Christ, what if instead of going on the hunt to catch people doing the wrong thing, what if we went on the hunt to catch people doing the right thing? 
What if we walk through this life saying, hey, do you see what they're doing? Do you see what they're accomplishing? And you celebrate people. What if you walk through your office place talking about all the good things other people are doing? What if you walk through your home and you lifted your children up and you ex- and, and, and exalted Christ in their lives and you pointed out the things that are happening? What if you walk through the community and you celebrated your neighbors? What if you walk through the grocery store? Are you with me, church? Like what if instead of going on the hunt for the bad, the evil, and the wrong, and the guys building the tunnel to blow people up, what if instead you walk walked around with wonder that there's a guy that wants to build a tunnel on the ground just because it's awesome, right? Like, I mean, come on, let's live that life that way. What if instead of walking around looking for somebody to curse, we started looking for someone to bless? What if instead of naming people according to their worst moments, we walked around and we celebrated them because of their best moments? What if we, instead of looking at people and defining them by their features, we defined them and recognized them and called them as according to what they are, as their best and most God reflect lives and their individuality that God has uniquely called them and created them to be a reflection of his glory and life in this world. What if we lived our lives as people that knew we had the capacity to bring peace and truth and hope and reconciliation and grace and mercy into every situation? What if in a moment when people are coming and we feel the frustration and we feel the anger rising up, we feel the discouragement, we feel the resentment, we feel the wounds, and in that moment, what if instead of saying what we're really thinking, what if we bit our tongues, we swallowed our pride, and we said, this is not a moment to run from. This is not a moment for me to shine. This is a moment for God to shine. This is the moment, this moment right here in the worst of the worst of situations, in the most painful, gut-riching moment right now where I'm just hurt, I'm mad, I'm ticked, I'm, I'm just, oh, I can't even do this. Right now, this is my moment to move the kingdom of God forward. This is my moment to help people find peace because they're coming into this moment because they're hurt and they're wounded and they're displeased and they're angry about things and I can help them to find hope and truth in Jesus Christ. That's the moment that he's given us. That's the moment he's calling us to do. So let this be the moment that you move the kingdom of God forward. Let this be the moment that you make a declaration that that's the way you're going to live your life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, it says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, emphasize that, or whatever you do. You know what that includes? Whatever. <laughs> do it all for the glory of God. Do what? All. What does that include? All. Everything. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that they may be saved. And you should follow me and imitate me as I imitate Christ. Come on, that's the life that you've been called to live. It's been the, it's the life that we're freed to live. One of the crazy things about this story is, is not only is it an insane story that Jesus knew a fish in a lake that was going to have a coin in its mouth and that that fish was going to be the first fish to jump on Peter's line and that Peter was going to pull it out and get the coin, and that the coin was going to be the exact amount they needed to pay both his 
and Jesus' temple tax. That's insane all in itself, right? That Jesus knew that and all of those things happened. It's insane. But the story doesn't tell us that it actually happened. It ends with Jesus saying, go do this, and that's it. I think a lot of people debate as to why, and even that's a reason that's given is to prove that this miracle didn't happen. But I think if you look at the context of the story, not about being about God's provision, but instead about being about you and how you view you and how that shapes the world you live in, if this is about your offenses, if this is about your perception, if this is about your position as a child of God and how that determines your response in moments, then verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1, is the answer. The disciples says this. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Why do I think that's the answer? Because if you look, as they were traveling from Galilee and they were coming to Capernaum, the disciples were experiencing all of these incredible things. Peter, John, went up to the mountain and they saw Jesus transfigure into all of his glory and they saw Moses and Elijah up on the mountain. And you got these other disciples sitting down there, looking up, seeing all of this stuff happen, seeing this cloud, seeing all of this different things. And not only that, they're at the bottom of the mountain trying to pray for people for healing and they can't do it. They're failing. They're discouraged. They're seeing three guys that got chose above them to be a part of something unique and powerful. And in the midst of that happening, they're bombing at their job. So they're walking around. They're offended. They're discouraged. They're displeased. They're angry. And they can allow their wounds just to become evident. And they're talking about what? Me. Am I better than you? Are you better than me? What happens is, right, their filter is about their offenses and wounds instead about who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. And so I think this story's cut short because it's meant to show us that what happens when you live life this way is that you derail the life that God has for you. None of the other gospel writers include this miracle in their stories. Not because I don't think it didn't happen, because I think they were fighting about themselves and their kingdoms instead of wanting to see the miracles that God was doing. Don't let your offenses rob you of the life that God wants you to live and that he's called you to live. I think the overwhelming, and whoever's on the worship team can go ahead and come up. I think the overwhelming principle of this parable is, this miracle is, of this true story is, is that when you live in the freedom and love of Christ, God himself works for you in ways you would never dream. So when you look at life and you say it's impossible to do that, when you look at your situations, you're like, I can never forgive them for that. I can never overcome that. I can never be the one that's going to be the voice of reconciliation in that situation. I can never be the one that's going to stand up for what is right in this moment and bear all the things that are come down on me. I couldn't do that. And Jesus is saying to you, listen, if you're my follower, you have the capacity for peace. You have the capacity to bring life. 
You have the capacity to encourage, to change the situations, to change people's futures. That's the capacity you have. Just look to me and trust me. And I'm telling you, we're going to work all things out. And if you live this life of freedom and love, you are going to see me do things for you that you would never dream. So I'm calling you, City Life, to live your lives full on for Jesus. In a moment where you could even be justified to speak a word of truth, to show that your opinion is right, to show that somebody else is wrong, even in those moments, you don't think about yourself and how your kingdom can be built. Instead, you say, this is a moment for me to move the kingdom of God forward. And I'm going to speak life into this moment. I'm going to speak truth into this moment. I'm going to speak peace into this moment. So if you would bow your heads, close your eyes. One of the things that has stood out to me is, is that as I was looking at this and processing this, it's one of the dangers of living this outraged life, living this life where we're carrying our offenses is that we get so outraged by everything that we don't even know when we actually should be outraged anymore. That we're supposed to be living these lives that our very existence, our very presence should be calling a deeper truth out into the world of everyone that we come in contact with. But instead of being enraged and outraged about the things that God cares about, we're outraged by the size of our burritos at Chipotle. And we're outraged by what the toll is going through the tunnel. And we're outraged by the fact that they cut our TV show. And we're outraged by how much I got to pay for a haircut. And, well, maybe you do. But we're outraged about all of these things. And we don't even know what we should be outraged about anymore. So there's three things just real quick tonight. I'm just going to ask if this is where you are. I'm not going to be long. But I want you to hear this. And I want you to respond to one or all of these things. The first one is this, is if you've been so caught up fighting for you that you've missed the opportunity to be the light someone in your life needs. Tonight, hear the call to step into the life that God's called you to live in this extraordinary, supernatural, impossible life to be a person who brings peace and healing and restoration, to be the light that this world needs, to be the light that your sister needs, to be the light that your father needs, to be the light that your boss needs, to be the light in your community, to bring people out of their darkness. Because you're here not just to make it through the week and attend church. You're here every day, breathing, so that you can live your life for Jesus and so that people can come to know him. So if that's you tonight, you've been caught up fighting for you, that you've missed that opportunity. And tonight, I just want you to take a second and say, that's me. Say, God, help me to lift my eyes out of my world. Help me to move my eyes to your world and to your kingdom and to the life that you're calling me to live. I know that through you, what seems impossible to me is more than possible. And God, I want to see you do things through me that I could never dream of. Just take a second right now. 
tonight, if you're a person who has lost passion for the things that break God's heart, I'm asking you, call it to God. Say, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. Our world is hurting. Our world is broken. We're not waiting for an answer. Church, we are the answer. But what it's going to take is some of us getting mad enough about the things that are happening and the things that break God's heart and standing up for them. Stop worrying about your opinion. Stop worrying about your perception of a situation and actually see what it is that God is needing to do, what God is wanting to do, and ask, am I a part of what you want to do? Are you inviting me to participate in that thing? And I am willing to do it whatever it costs. There are some 50 billion children that are living in refugee camps right now with no, literally, no hope for a future. How do we see that? And not have our hearts broken. There are people in our community that are scared to go to a store because of the way they look. Come on, that should break our hearts. Because I'm telling you, it breaks God's heart. Stop arguing over the details. Listen to people. And listen how you can speak life into that situation. How you can bring light into that moment. So take a second right now. And if that's you, if you say, hey, that's me. God, my heart is not broken for the things that break your heart. And I've been so outraged about all of these ridiculous things that I haven't even paid attention to the things that matter to you. God, redirect my heart now. God, empower me now. God, compel me now. Just take a second. tonight that you don't feel accepted you don't feel loved unconditionally you haven't understand and received and felt the relief of the forgiveness of Christ and how it frees you and it empowers you and it compels you to live a life of freedom and love if tonight you can't move past your offenses because they're so heavy and they're so burdensome because you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Tonight is your moment. Tonight is your time to say, Jesus, I need you. I need this life of freedom. I need this life of hope. I need this life of promise. I need this life of truth. I need this life where I can rise above the things that are meant to tear me down and I can stand as a victor. I can stand as a child of God and I can allow the position of me being your child to determine my response. If that's you tonight, in your seat, where you are, just call out to Jesus. I believe and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. It's as simple as that.
And then if you've made that prayer, if you've made that declaration, talk to somebody tonight in a blue shirt. Come and talk to me after service because you need to connect with a person. But this is a moment between you and God. There's nothing crazy that has to happen. You just need to hear his voice saying, you're mine. I love you and I want to set you free. Just say, that's me. Father, I pray. God, I pray in this moment, Lord. God, that you help each and every one of us in this room, each and every person that's listening to this podcast, each and every person that is hearing this message now. God, let our hearts hear a message of freedom. Let our hearts hear a message of truth. Lord, that we stand up and we rise above what is expected of us and we live the lives that you've called us to live, that we live a life that doesn't elevate ourselves but we live a life that elevates Christ above all things, that points to this extraordinary, just empowering reality that you are real, that you are true, that you came and you came and you died and you rose again and you are now sitting in heaven and you are offering and giving us the opportunity to live a powerful life in your name for your glory. Father, tonight, set us free. Help us to live a life beyond what we could even dream for ourselves as we live it for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Church, stand up and worship with me. Troublemaker. Either way, we got you. 
Peter's sitting there looking at the situation, and Peter's like, man, this might be the moment. It's all going to go down. He's going to die in this moment. They're going to take him. I just walked away from my job. I just walked away from everything. Like, what's going to happen in this moment? Like, I don't understand what's going to take place. How are we going to work this thing out? And Jesus, instead of just pulling a coin out of his pocket, instead of saying, hey, Peter, go to the treasury and pull something out, instead of saying, hey, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, do whatever. He puts a coin in a fish's mouth and tells Peter to go and catch it. You know what he's doing? He's telling to everybody, I am God and I'm worthy of praise. You can trust in me and I can overcome everything. There is nothing, as we just said, that will shake me or take me down. This is the truth of who I am. And it was a moment of declaration in Peter's life and it's a moment of declaration in our lives. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy to be lived for. He is worthy to give everything for. He is worthy to stand up for. So let's go and do it. Love you guys. See you next week. Bring 100 people.